Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Lucky Land Slots. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Puck and Roll. Here's your host, Patrick Lordy. Today's episode, we talk about, of course, Jesperi Kokenyemi. He's gone, so now we're going to talk about a new guy in town, Christian Dvorak. We're also going to talk a little bit about some OHL and the Q as well, which is the Juniors of Quebec, for those not aware. Joshua, of course, is going to join us with history, and we have a lot more to cover on today's episode. You're listening to Episode 7 of Puck and Roll. everyone, my name is Patrick Lorty. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Puck and Roll, your go-to roundtable for all things Montreal Canadiens. And now, with a little bit of dose of OHL, AHL, ECHL, QMJHL, anything that finishes with HL, you're likely going to hear it on this show. On tonight's episode, we got Sebastian High, Scott Cowan, Joshua Rosa joining us on the panel. And to start things off, we're actually going to be sending it to Scott Cowan, who will be filling in for Maria Buabdo with this week's edition of the Habs Blitz. Hey folks, so you're probably aware of who I am at this point, but if you're not, I'm Scott Cowan, and I'll be filling in for Maria Buabdo and on this week's House Blitz. So obviously the big news out of the Montreal Canadiens this past week has of course been the Carolina Hurricanes offer sheet to Yusperi Kakinyemi, the Canadiens' former third overall pick, whom they signed to a one-year deal worth $6.1 million as a restricted free agent. Montreal ultimately decided to not match the offer, and Carolina received uh, Montreal received Carolina's first and third round pick in the 2022 draft. Both Kane's GM Don Waddell and owner Tom Dundon announced the deal was not based in revenge, and in a press conference on Monday, general manager Mark Bergevin had this to say justifying not matching Carolina's offer. The amount of money on a one-year deal for a player who should be making a lot less, it's, it was, could affect our future. We have a structure, our, our salary cap that we need to work with. We have some young players coming through uh, that we want to keep, so... Uh, it put us in a situation where we had to make a decision what was best for our team now and moving forward. And being able to uh, acquire uh, Devo, Christian Dvorak, made our decision easier. 
As, as I stated, the Canadians former third overall pick in the 2018 draft, Kakinami leaves Montreal after playing 171 games, scoring 22 goals, accumulating 40 assists for a total of 62 points. Most people probably remember him for his big heroics in this year's past playoff run, including the game that sent the least series to Game 7. Nearly an hour after the Kakinami announcement, the Canadians announced that they have traded a 2022 first-round pick, as well as their 2024 second-round pick, to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for centerman Christian Dvorak. Arizona will be receiving the better of the two first-rounders than Montreal possesses, which makes it a conditional pick. Dvorak has four years remaining on, his, on a six-year contract with a 4.45 million cap hit with a modified no-trade clause for the final two seasons. The 25-year-old Palos, Illinois native, registered 17 goals and 14 assists for 31 points with the Coyotes last season, and Dvorak has been praised for being a solid in the face of having a 50, 50% win percentage average, as well as for being a solid two-way player of offensive upside. He's been one of the like, uh, Coyote's leaders on offense and should be able to bring it to Montreal. In other news, the, ECHL, the ECHL's Trois Rivières Lyon have announced that their brand new 5,000C amphitheater will be called the Colise Videotron. In the same breath, it was also announced that Tevia Sports have become the exclusive broadcaster for the team. 26 home games will be shown on Tevia Sports, not including the playoffs. Justine Saint-Martin will post the broadcast while Sebastian Goulet will provide a play-by-play, and former Columbus Blue Jackets winger Alison Picard will be joining on commentary. The first broadcast is scheduled to be Thursday, October 21st, against the Newfoundland Growlers. Finally, in a bit of a where-are-they-now section, former Canadians first-rounder Nikita Sherbeck has signed in Slovakia. After playing eight games for the, with the LA Kings in 2019, with a lot of Canadians fans originally wondering why the Canes let him go in the first place, Sherbeck bounced around having played for the Ontario Reign in the AHL, a stint in the KHL with the Olds Avingard and Shelia Binsk Tractor, which failed, before finally setting back in the AHL with the Texas Stars on a one-year deal at, towards the beginning of NHL training camp. After receiving no interest from any NHL or AHL teams this past offseason, the former 26 overall pick will be taking the services to Banks Vestrika of the Tipos Extraliga Slovakian League. A high volume of former ECHL starts, likely Sherbeck will be given a first-line role and will make money considered to be a second-class for a division league. Former Canadian Titan Verbeek played for Banska after being loaned for the 2020-21 season and is the nephew of former NHLer Pad Verbeek. He has signed to play with the Grand Rapids Griffins of the AHL for next season. Finally, it is my pleasure to announce that the Puck and Roll podcast have made a free agent signature of their own. It is a great pleasure that I announce on behalf of everyone that Anthony DeMarco will be joining us in the very near future and be a part of our show. Anthony, who is also an NHL correspondent for the fourth period, was recently featured on our show in episode five. He'll be hosting a weekly segment, giving us all the latest important news around the National Hockey League, as well as occasionally joining us on the panel. Welcome to the team, Anthony. Well, this calls for a celebration. I will. All right, how about we talk a little bit about the Habs? Let's do it. So as Scott just mentioned in the the Habs Blitz, right now the Canadians have a new centerman in Christian Dvorak. Now joining us to talk about Christian Dvorak, once again, Scott Cowan, Sebastian High, and Joshua Rosa. Now we're going to be talking a little about Christian Dvorak. Now there has been a lot of, I mean, I'm not going to say controversy behind the trade. I mean, the general consensus is that Mark Bergevin made a good trade by getting Dvorak for a first and a second. Now, a lot of people are, 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 have been saying, eh, is this first round? It seems to be a little expensive. Well, when you consider that both the Canadians and the Hurricanes have the potential of having at least a decent season, I sincerely doubt it'll be a top 10 pick. Maybe 15th and more, but again, that's up for debate. Now, and who is, if it, sorry, if go it ahead. is a top 10 pick, uh, Montreal does keep it. 
there is another condition in that. It is so thank you very if much. either Montreal, Carolina sucks for some reason, we do not lose out on a shot. At Just fought ahead. So top 10 protected. Exactly. So good job. Good job chiming on that one, Sebastian. Now, uh, the... Okay, well, now the obvious facts about Christian Dvorak is, like Scott mentioned earlier, he's got four years left on his six-year deal with a $4.45 million uh, cap hit, which is more than reasonable for someone of his stature. Now, he is a six-foot, six sorry, 195-pound center, shoots from the left. He has been drafted in the second round, 58th overall in 2014, spent his entire career in Arizona. Now, a lot of people were saying, oh, this might be the 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 good like actually the replacement for Kakanyemi, which apparently that's an erroneous answer because now a lot of people are saying no, he's the guy that's going to replace Philip Dano. Now we have heard again 53% career win per, uh, win percentage on on the faceoff dot, which is nothing short of incredible, especially considering that's always been one of the weaker points in on the Montreal uh, middle line. Um Again, you know, he's 15 goals, 18 goals in one year. He'll give you about 35 points. But now he's got the chance of actually playing with some decent wingers, something that did not happen while he was in Arizona. Mr. Joshua Rosa, I'm going to start with you. I would like your opinion on what you thought about the acquisition of Christian Dvorak. I honestly think that this acquisition is great for Montreal. If we look at what we've been talking about in the past, what have been Montreal's weaknesses that they have to address? We've talked about their lack of scoring in recent years. Dvorak scored more goals than both Kakinyev or Dano and any of their high points. He scored 15 goals, 17 goals, 18 goals, which is more than any of them. And he's great in face-off circle, 52.1% last year, 553 wins to 509 losses. Deneau is a bit better, 52.5, but significantly less face-offs taken. So they're pretty comparable in that regard. He's not going to give you as good defense as Deneau is, but he's going to give you a lot better offense. To me, when I look at his stats... I think of Josh Anderson. So you look at Josh Anderson's career before this, he kept getting better every year. And it's the same thing with Dvorak. He's scored more goals every year, except for one year, which like Anderson, he missed a year basically with a torn pectoral muscle Dvorak did with only two goals. But when he came back, he just climbing. And this year he finished with... 17 goals and 31 points in 56 games, one less goal than he did in 70 games last year, and seven less points in 70 games. So that's showing me that he's just going to get better, and I'm excited to see what he can do with real line mates on like Pitlick and Lawson Kraus. That's actually a really good point, and Sebastian, I, we're, we're, I'd like you to tie in a little bit into this because when – Josh was talking about Philip Danu. It's absolutely true. Danu's career high is 13 goals in a year. However, in 1819, he had 53 points. The next year is 47, 40 points uh, when he first started in a full-time role in 1617. But again, he played in a role with Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher for the most part. So in your opinion, do you think that maybe pinning him on a line with, let's say, Mike Hoffman and Josh Anderson, for example, 
I mean, are we going to see, you know, maybe more offense from Dvorak? Because, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. You know, I don't really have that much of an opinion on the guy. But I guess because, you know, playing in Arizona, we, you know, we didn't have a chance to see him last year and we didn't have a chance to play him all that well. But um, do you see a higher offensive upside in Dvorak versus Philip Daniel? Or even Kotkaniemi for that matter? Okay, well, answering one of those is a lot easier than the other. In terms of pure offensive product, I don't think there's any question that Dvorak is superior to Philip Deneau. Um, with Kakanyemi, it's more of a thing of the ceiling being a lot higher than Dvorak's, but the certainty not being there. So um, that I don't think I can really say with any certainty either way, but I do think that Dvorak will... Put, like, put up bigger numbers with the Habs than he has with Arizona recently. And um, yeah, I mean, like if you give him steady line mates and honestly, look at like all the wingers that are going to be in the top nine, you, you can't really go wrong in terms of quality with the Habs, right? Like, like winger depth is what this team has. And he's going to have really good wingers, whether they're going to be playmakers or goal scorers, he's going to have quality on either side. And I really think it's going to um, allow him to flourish. Uh, and while I don't, I don't love the move, especially considering it uh, is paired with the departure of Kakinimi, who is just 21 years old. Um, and I do think that the most important part of the trade was the clause that we don't lose the 10th overall selection. Like that, that protection, I think, is important because no matter how confident we are in the Habs or in the Canes this season, both teams are one injury away from possibly tanking, right? Like if, if for the Habs, if, if Nick Suzuki gets injured, we're a lottery team. If for the Canes, if Aho gets injured, they're probably a lottery team, right? Like there, there isn't any certainty with either group. And I just, I would, I was very worried when I saw the trade until I saw that, that trade clause. But I do think that Dvorak is an interesting addition and he does add a different dynamic to Montreal's offensive group. He scores a lot right from like the, the, the low slot, right? He, he loves the bumper roll on the power play, similar to Tyler Toffoli. So you're now going to have two power plays with a really good bumper. And I think it'll help diversify the power play and also just add some grittiness to the center lineup that we haven't had in ages. Scott, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, you know, obviously, I want to I want to know what your opinion is on the, on the acquisition of Dvorak, but also, I'd like you to maybe add a little something to what your prospect hero teammate just said, saying that if we lose Suzuki, all of a sudden we're a lottery team. I mean, is our set is our center line that fragile? I mean, was losing Denu and Kotkaniemi that big cause of for concern to the point that if we lose one of them, then, you know, we're basically screwed. Habs centers are talented players for the moment, I would say, but I will agree with Sebastian in the fact that I think Nick Suzuki is your only game-breaking center. Nick Suzuki is the only one who can really explode in a game and really create chances around him, make players around him better and create opportunities like that. For Christian Dvorak, the thing that's important to take into consideration of him is that he was a consistent player on one of the league's most inconsistent teams over the past however many seasons. The last time the Arizona Coyotes went to the, well, actually went on a deep playoff run, Ray Whitney was their leading scorer and Matthew Lombardi was their second leading scorer. Yeah, but we never make fun of this team on this show, right? I mean, we're so respectful of the Coyotes. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Continue. 
The thing that's important to consider regarding Dvorak is that, like I said, he played on a team that was offensively dry for the past however many seasons. The Coyotes have been on a deep playoff run here and there and in the past, but obviously nowadays they're not quite the team they once were. And I think they're putting more of an emphasis on rebuilding and acquiring picks, which is why they made this trade in the first place. Dvorak brings the consistency on offense that Deneau didn't bring, but Dvorak also doesn't have the defensive capabilities that Deneau had. So I definitely think that he'll be a very good option for Montreal. And the thing is, he's just a solid option for Montreal. And he's a reliable one for being a former second-round pick. I definitely think he'll be a nice addition to help stabilize our center group. But I am with Sebastian on the fact that if we do lose a guy like Nick Suzuki, I'm not sure if Dvorak can step up and truly be that first-line player. I, you know, I tend to agree, and not now that you you've explained it a little more, and Sebastian, you know, I, I I agree from the get go, but I just wanted to like, I'm sure everyone just wanted to know a little bit more as to the why, because you no, know, last year the Canadians were so praised for their depth. All of a sudden, it seems that we don't have that depth anymore. Um, so yeah, if something happens to Suzuki, ouch. Okay, but at the same time, Josh, I want you to to maybe, yeah, tell me what you think about this. I mean. Dvorak has been brought in to replace Deno on a certain level. Now, everyone, both, you know, all three of you have said, okay, well, you know what? He doesn't have this, the defensive skills that Deno has, but he has a higher offensive upside. All right, well, that's cool. Defensively, though, well, we got Jake Evans, you know, who seems to be ready to take on that third-line role and the more defensive role. And he's proven in the past that, you know, he's he might be willing to step up. And, you know, I don't think we could we could count out guys like Cedric Paquette or even Metzger Perot, for that matter. So the question is, maybe, perhaps, maybe we're not that bad off at the same time. I mean, maybe Evans, all of, like you know, from the beginning was the plan to replace Deno, no matter what. And then Dvorak just kind of comes in and being like, all right, well, he could give you a little bit of Deno, a little bit of KK. Or do you think, you know what, despite the additions of guys like Paquette and Pero, and of course, there's always Ryan Paling was going to be, uh, vying for a spot on the roster as well. Uh, are we maybe a trade or PTO away from actually being proper, uh, properly balanced? Uh, I think the important thing to remember when looking at this, everyone's going to compare what Kotkaniemi does in Carolina with what he did in Montreal and how this trade, Jake Evans and Montreal's center core as a whole lines up, but you can't really do that because as we pointed out last week, Montreal's uh, prospects have been brought up horribly, including Kotkaniemi. So he's going to be in, I think, a much better place in Carolina to realize his potential than Montreal throwing him into a second-line center role. So we can't really compare them, but I think... Jake Evans is going to be great defensively. I think we've got arguably one of the best goalie tandems in the league with Price and Allen. We still have a really solid top four without Shea Weber, and it's really good struggling, and we've got some good young talent coming up defensively. It's not going to be a problem of keeping the puck out of it so much as putting the puck into theirs. And that's where I think Dvorak's going to help a lot more than Deneau or Kanyemi or both of them could do. Yeah, because I think what we're going to be forgetting very, very quickly is that as good as Phil Deneau is defensively, offensively, he was a product of having great wingers with him. He's going to do really good this year in LA. I have no doubt that he'll probably pull off another 50 points, you know, out of his bag, out of nowhere and everything. But then, 
you know, the youngsters are going to come out. Quinton Byfield's going to come out. Gabriel Villardi's going to come out. And the next thing you know, his ice time is going to go down, and then the team is going to realize, oh, we're stuck with him for the next 9,000 years. Sebastian, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi's contract was a big topic of discussion all week. And even Mark Bergevin himself, and I'm going to play this clip again one more time. Bergevin said that Kotkaniemi is overpaid. Avec cette offre hostile, pour moi, c'est la démesure à 6.1 pour un an, ou ce qui en est au stage de sa carrière. So, we heard it. We heard it from the horse's mouth. Marc Benjamin said that, yes, Pierre Nocotkinimi is not worth $6.1 million. And I think everyone can agree on that. Now, my question to you, however, is, how is that going to impact negotiations with, oh, let's say, Nick Suzuki next, uh, next offseason? Because... There's no way that we're going to be able to give him one of those two and a half, three million dollar bridge deals after this kind of RFA offer. Am I right? I don't think that this offer sheet changes anything from Montreal's stance in terms of negotiations with young players. They clearly said that, oh, okay, we're not signing this deal because we don't think that this is anywhere near the player's current worth. And it wasn't because it's just, it was just Carolina giving up capital today to get an asset. Um, so I, I really don't think that like this offer sheet changes anything from the negotiations with Nick Suzuki. What I do think it does is that it should hopefully encourage Bergevin to get a contract with Suzuki done as soon as possible. I wouldn't even wait for the start of this season because you never know how much Suzuki's going to break out. He could easily be a point of game player, in my opinion. I would try to lock him up for eight years right now, give him $7.58 million a year and call it a day. Like I... It's just, I think that with an offer sheet actually succeeding on a very talented young player in Kakanyemi, that you might see some teams actually be a bit more interested in at least contemplating like offering an offer sheet to an RFA because it worked for Carolina. It might backfire, but they, they, they got what they wanted, whether it was for revenge or not. They, they got a player that they at least kind of want, right? Like, like revenge is definitely part of it, but like they, they, they didn't offer sheet, like, I don't know who else is there, like some random RFA for $6 million when they could have, right? But um, like they, they didn't offer sheet Ryan Paling Justin for five Penner. million a year beforehand. <laughs> or, yeah. or Justin Penner, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that, I, Honestly, I don't think that the offer sheet changes anything for any team in terms of negotiations with the players, like even for Carolina, because if if like Martin, Martin Nakash, whose contract is coming up, which should interest Montreal, because if this RFA war continues, he's the guy to, to, to target because he's incredible. Um, I don't think that his agent can bring anything to Carolina uh, showing Kakinemi's contract that changes anything because the excuse can just be used like, that was not a contract that we did because we thought the player was worth it. We used that contract to acquire the player, right? Which is true. Um, so I, I don't think that the KK offer sheet changes much of anything for any team in terms of negotiations. Scott, for the final couple of minutes that we have, I know you've been a very uh, vocal about um, Don, Don Woodhull's um, non-vengeful offer. Um, I know you thought it was you know, total BS the way the whole thing went down and everything. But now the question mentioned that you actually just blurted out Dustin Penner. Penner is the last uh, player in which uh, an RFA offer has been made in which a team decided not to match. 
Do you think, you know, like Sebastian kind of opened the door uh, for this as well. Do you really think that maybe in the future we're going to see more RFA offers, especially with, you know, the caps starting, the salary cap that's starting to get a, a little tighter, left, right, and center. Players are getting paid a lot more than they should. And that being said, why didn't we make an offer to a guy like, uh, like Elias Peterson instead? It is definitely a sort of emphasis in the NHL nowadays with offer sheets. It's just there's a lot of complications that come into when you try to sign an offer sheet. And there's a lot of complications that arise between the two teams when you try to sign a player to one. The thing that happened with Dustin Penner with the Anaheim Ducks is that the Ducks just didn't feel like he was worth what Evan uh, was offering him. And the same thing applies to Kakiyemi. Oh, man, it actually almost ended in a barn fight, remember? Mm-hmm. Brian Burke actually challenged Kevin Lowe to a barn fight because of this whole debacle, yeah. And the thing is, most of the big offer sheets that a lot of people forgotten about because they were matched resulted in a lot of controversy. Yeah. Most people don't even know Shea Weber signed an offer sheet with the Philadelphia Flyers, which That's now... Right. And now if Weber retires, they'll have to pay cap recapture on that contract that they signed. Mm-hmm. So they signed a $1.9 million offer sheet with Philly, which also he got in trouble with with Vancouver. And there's just been a lot of, there's just been a history of offer sheets of them being matched and then a lot of controversy resulting from them being matched with the player originally wanting to go to a different team. Like when, for example, the last offer sheet that Montreal tried to send Sebastian Ajo to when they mentioned he wants to come to this team in Carolina after they matched the offer, sent out a bunch of stuff clarifying that he explicitly did not want to come to Montreal. So I feel like while the NHL should make a push, and I think it'd be interesting for them to make a push toward more offer sheets, there's just too many complications that arise between the team and the player and the commitment that that player has to that specific team to make them seem viable for the future, in my opinion. I, I, I still think they'll remain in the same sphere they were when Dustin Penner signed his offer sheet as they are nowadays when Jesperi Kakinami signed his offer sheet. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we'll, man, I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, again, we're you know leaving more questions than answers open, but we're going to see what number the, the new number 28 for the Montreal Canadiens will bring us next season. Hopefully it'll be positive. And I guess, um, Sebastian, I hope you're not, you're, you're not jinxing this, but I hope nobody gets injured because, you know, according to you, we're one injury away from, well, you never know. Maybe we'll draft Shane Wright. Ha! <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> Or to be let into. (laughs) Or to be let into. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's time to dust off our hats, put on our feathers, shine our shoes, grab your promenade, turn to the right, do a little square dance, get that honky-tonk piano ready in tune. It's time for Joshua Rosa with On This Day in Habs History. On This Day in Habs History... On this day, September 9th, the year of our Lord, 1982, the Montreal Canadiens traded away Doug Jarvis, Craig Laughlin, Brian Engblom, and Rod Langway for Ryan Walter and Rick Green. Walter was the second overall pick in 1978, and Green the first overall pick in 1966. However, Langway was the jewel in this trade's crown, playing 11 seasons with Washington, winning the Norris Trophy in the first two seasons after the trade, and becoming their captain as soon as the trade occurred. The Secretary of Defense, as he was called, and the only NHL player born in Taiwan, was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2002. Exactly 36 years later in 2018, Bergevin even the score with a great trade of his own, sending Captain Max Pacioretty to the fledgling Vegas Golden Knights for Thomas Tatar, 
prospect Nick Suzuki, the second-round pick. As a Golden Knight, Pacioretty has hovered around a point per game, but Suzuki looks to be a future one center. The second-round pick was used to select Samuel Fagamo. However, he was picked by the LA Kings, not Montreal. Montreal traded that pick for LA's second-round and third-round pick that year. The second-round pick later became Matthias Norlander. On September 10th, the year of our Lord 1943, Montreal Canadiens traded away Ted Kennedy to the Toronto Maple Leaf. Ted Kennedy is a Hall of Famer and named one of the top 100 players of all time by NHL.com. The return Montreal got for Kennedy? Well, astute listeners may recognize this name for the first installment on this day, Frank Edels. Edels was involved with two trades with the Montreal Canadiens, both seeing future Hall of Famers Ted Kennedy and Buddy O'Connor leaving Montreal for little in return. And Patrick, this one's for you. Exactly 24 years ago, the Hockey Hall of Fame waived the three-year period to induct Mario Lemieux into its hallowed halls in 1997. He would later be the third player to play in the league after being inducted into the hall, along with Gordy Howe and Guy Lafleur. Here are the fans. Mario's on the ice now. Back to the point, Desjardins. Mario blocked it. Lemieux heading up ice. Here he comes. Here he comes. Mario Lemieux. Hang on. He scores. You're going to love it. Unbelievable. Thank you for that little shout out, uh, Josh. I mean, anything hearing anything about Mario, Mario Le Magnifique? Chef's kiss, my friend. Chef's kiss. And now at this time, we're going to send it over to Scott Cowan and Sebastian High with the Prospect Heroes. The Prospect Heroes, Scott and Sebastian on Puck and Roll. Sebastian, let's talk a little bit about the juniors. And uh, now, yeah, we're starting to get a, a nice, interesting list for the uh, 2022 draft. Um, now, there's a, there's been a lot of talk that it's going to be a very deep draft, but there's a couple of players that, you know, we're going to talk about today. And let's start with what apparently is going to be, no matter what, unless some absolute natural disaster happens and a meteor strikes him, Shane Wright of the Kingston Frontenacs will be going number one overall. Guys, what do you think? About that Shane Wright, eh? He's definitely uh, oh, for how, sure. How about that Shane Wright? <laughs> <laughs> he's somebody that I, well, this is the player that I definitely just want to get the ball rolling on in terms of just talking about prospect talk. He's obviously been discussed a lot for by different publications and different scouts and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of just the general media coverage, Shane Wright is definitely a player that should be a big uh, – how I say a big focus point going into the 2022 NHL draft. Owen Power and Nico Hishir and previous picks have kind of fallen into the same realm of just being players who were really solid NHL players and they project to be really solid NHL players, but they weren't necessarily game breaking stars like Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. 
For Shane Wright, this is a different story. Shane Wright is 17 years old, is currently the captain of the Kingston Frontenacs, his team at only 17 years old. And in his first season in the OHL, he put up 39 goals and 27 assists in 58 games. It's clear this kid has some really talent, has some really good potential, and he's definitely a true or potential game-breaking star in the NHL down the line. But I definitely think it'll be interesting to see how things continue on in the next season and how his numbers will project on a very talented Kingston Frontenacs team with some really good players around him. So... I'm going to throw it over to Sebastian to see what his opinion is on this. Yeah. Shane, Shane Wright's a really special player. Like he's, I mean, the, the only like recent first, like relatively recent first overall pick that I would say would be higher ceiling than Shane Wright would have been Austin Matthews. If you, if you go back that far, like he's a really, really special player. Like, like Jack Hughes is going to be good, but Shane Wright is breaking records and um, doing it at a very young age in the OHL. And yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great and fun draft class, right? The fact that like Brad Lambert is uh, like probably going to go second or third overall between him and Matthew Savoie. Um, and he put up 15 points in 46 games in the Finnish Liga, like in the in his draft minus one season. So he was a 16 year old playing against pros um and put up 15 points which is pretty solid so uh the fact that he's not like the first overall pick in everyone's mock draft is already pretty impressive and then the aforementioned Matthew Savoie is going to be really good uh and he's in the USHL this season um there's another Jack Hughes is going to who's going to go in the first in the top five he's also in the US NTDP NTDP and he's also a forward um but he's also a great player he's not he's not the same Jack Hughes as the New Jersey Devils, Jack Hughes, but he's really good. And even if you go to like the the VHL in Russia, uh, Ivan Miroshnashenko looks really good. So it's 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 a pretty fun draft class. Where honestly, I think that like the first overall pick is pretty set in stone, and then the next two are also pretty safe bets with Brad Lambert and Matthew Savoie. But honestly, like I would say, like the first overall pick in this last draft would have an, a pretty similar value as like the fifth overall pick in the next draft. Now, on the topic of Shane Wright, can you guys maybe give a comparison as to maybe, you know, what he, who he, who he might look like? Because now there's been some talk and being like, he's going to be really good, but he might not be McDavid good, but he's going to be really good. And I mean, stats are stats. You know, anybody who goes on EliteProspects.com, for example, man, goodness, 150 points in 72 games in AAA. Uh, you know, in, in last last year, sixty six points in fifty eight games, thirty nine of those were goals and whatnot. I mean, this is it's ridiculous statistics, of course. But Scott Sebastian, I mean, does he compare to to someone else? I mean, how like if you were say, you know what? Yep, he's another insert player name here. My own personal opinion, I mean, Shane Wright is definitely a smaller player. I'd recommend him offensively to a guy like Marte St. Louis, in terms of this being a very high-powered offensive player, a great playmaker, a great vision, great feel for the game, all that kind of stuff. He's also a really solid top-end skater at that. Uh, the other thing to note about Wright, uh, to make a good point to, is that his team, the Kingston Front today, aren't, weren't exactly that great over the past few seasons. So the fact that he can stand out that well on such a weaker team is definitely a really good point. And I definitely think he'll project to be one of sort of a more smaller type offensive kind of playmaker who can break out and be a big star. And another way, you can even compare him to Nick Suzuki in certain aspects of just his playmaking and his shot and things like that. Yeah, like I, I'm a really big fan of Nick Suzuki, but Shane Wright is a different beast in terms of, of just quality. Um, like, again, it, it's kind of tough to give player comparisons because they're never one-to-one, right? Like, 
I, I don't know. Like he's, he's a, he's a goal scoring centerman who I think has 40 goal upside in the NHL and wait well over a point a game. Um, if you want to look in terms of production, I don't know, like a Steven Stamkos or um, maybe borderline Austin Matthews territory with a little bit less of the physicality. So he, he, he had, like Matthews is also just a very imposing guy physically. He's not really using it, but he, he has that, that uh, physical quality, which Wright just doesn't. He's, he's just a very average size for an NHL player, but he is supremely skilled. And I, I do kind of struggle just with the play, player comparison, but like whoever drafts him is going to get a bona fide number one centerman who's probably going to be a top 10 player in the league within, say, five years. There's also a couple of other uh, players, Sebastian, that's uh... – you said you're pretty high on, and some of them are actually really close to Montreal for them. They're playing for Gatineau. Um, now, maybe tell us a little bit about their recent, I would say, incredible success at drafting, maybe? Well, maybe success at acquiring draft picks, considering they drafted both first overall and second overall in the 2020 draft, I believe, um, when they got Tristan with the first pick and Antonin Verreau with the second and they also had the eighth overall selection that, that year, which they used on Noah Warren. So uh, they have this trio of really high draft picks that are now all draft eligible for this upcoming draft. So that's going to be also fun to follow for me, considering I'll be able to get to a few games this season. And um, yeah, so so Luno is a defenseman. And as I just mentioned, he, he, he's, uh, he was the first overall pick and he is like a two-way defenseman in that he dominates on both ends of the ice in the queue. So he has like supreme playmaking ability and skill, right? Like, like, like the one, the thing that, that you notice when watching him is just how, how much skill he has for defensemen, right? Like he, he pulls off things that the forwards he faces can't pull off and the playmaking, the deception, the, the first pass while breaking out of the zone are, it's all there. Like the, the defensive qualities are, are, are there, but they're not, they're not quite as like in your face as the, the offense. But I, I do think that it's going to come through. And um, he's also a right shot. So that's always uh, an extra little bit of value in the, in the NHL. The second overall pick was uh, Anthony Verreau, who is a pure playmaker, like to the, to the extreme uh, in that he played this season. Um, so he played in 31 games for Gatineau and he put up six goals, but 23 assists. So he got, he had, 29 points in 31 games in his draft minus one season. And he was also born at the very end of July of 2004, meaning he's going to be one of the, one of the younger, younger players in his draft class. So the fact that he put up almost a point a game in the queue when he's almost, he was, he's almost a, a draft minus two player, like barely even a draft minus one is really impressive. So he's going to be available this season. And yeah, I, 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 I think that like a top, 20 pick for him is totally feasible and uh he's a bit undersized which would which i mean we, we've seen the nhl in the, in the draft right smaller players smaller wingers especially they drop right so yeah, it might also be a candidate even, even cole caulfield dropped even him. cole caulfield yeah, exactly. who is breaking records and goal scoring right exactly. so Verreau might be a candidate for like a late for like a end of the first round or early second round steal so yeah, he's definitely a player I'm going to follow a lot. And the third of the of this group, who was drafted eighth overall that year, Noah Warren, is um, kind of the opposite of Vero in that Vero is five foot eight and a winger, 
and uh, Noah Warren is six foot five and a defenseman. So he's like an absolute like physical monster. So like it's it, it really looks like men against boys. But on the ice, he's not a big offensive producer. At least he wasn't this season. Um, but he played some really big and heavy minutes for Gatineau, and they were kind of a middling team this season, but he played a lot of minutes and that in his draft minus two season. Right. So he, he, he was really good. And um, yeah, like I, I, I think that that trio has a lot of potential this season for Gatineau and that, yeah, as a trio, they could really carry that team like a lot higher than people are expecting them to go this season. Now Gatineau is obviously going to be one of them with a couple of teams that we're going to be following here on puck and roll we you know full disclosure we are uh, we have been invited to uh attend a couple of junior games so we're going to try to be as neutral as possible as, as possible but it's going to be very exciting to follow these guys uh scott um i know you're pretty high on a uh on a prospect he's already been drafted by the la kings in the first round eighth overall and that's brant clark now maybe give us a little insight as to why this guy you know, is is really someone that we, we need to be to look f- uh, forward to in the future. Going into the uh, 2021 NHL draft, a lot of the prospects that were highly ranked and subsequently highly selected were guys that I were kind of following up on and learning a lot more about as the draft approached, and I kind of just followed them on and off during the season. Brian Clark was different, and he was a guy who I kind of had picked up on really early prior to the 2021 draft, and I've been following him kind of on and off as I do. If, as I mentioned before, I kind of tend to pick really random guys to follow, and Clark just kind of popped up on my radar. And I just think he's a really, really talented high-end defenseman who has a lot of upside for an eighth overall pick, and I definitely think he'll be a great contributor to the Kings. In 2019-20 with the Brady Colts, he put up 38 points in 57 games, and this past season, he put up solid numbers in Slovakia, which is where, as we'll get into later, a former Hab is currently going to. And I just think he is a very, very talented offensive defenseman who will look project to be a big-time NHLer down the line, in my own opinion. I think he could be a, definitely a top two-pairing guy. He has great skating, great hands, and he definitely and he sees the ice very well for a guy, for a offensive defenseman. And I could definitely see him being a very talented power play quarterback for the Kings. And he's just another prospect that adds on to their already huge list of really talented players that are coming into the King system. Over the, what, will that, what, what will that mean for Philip Deneau down the line? That remains to be seen. But regardless, I definitely think that uh, Clark is just another great addition to the Kings already uh, young rebuilding core. Absolutely. Uh, you're 100% spot on on that one. And we, we mentioned that earlier with Deneau probably going to be dropping because of all the, the that depth they have and, and whatnot. Now there is something, guys. I want I want to ask uh, the both of you. I know that we spend a lot of time on this segment, you know, kind of, you know, peeling through the layers of you know particular prospects and whatnot. And something that we're going to be doing on this show as the season progresses is is to try to discover a little more what's going on in the life of a junior hockey player. Now, you know, everyone knows, like, you know, they, they go, they play hockey, they do their best, they get drafted and everything. But I think we're going we're, we're gonna to try with time to just to, we're going to try to get some interviews for sure. But we're going to try to make some, a lot of research into trying to find out exactly what makes these players tick. Why do, how, how do they spend their days and everything and whatnot and really get into the, the mental aspect of being a junior hockey player. Now, that being said, um, I guess Sebastian. I guess I'll. I guess I'll, I'll ask you first because you've been, you've been following you know certain teams like you know very closely and whatnot. And then one of the teams you've been following was the Ottawa 67s, and you uh, you mentioned that oof, you know they might have a tough road uh, ahead of them 
to be very polite, I guess. But I mean, in the juniors, especially, it's not the same thing as in the National Hockey League, because in the NHL, you know, you could rebuild, you could draft, you could develop, etc. Um, am I correct to assess that, you know, when you're running a junior team, it's literally just luck, like luck of the draw? You know, it's hopefully you get someone fall on your lap for a couple of years and then you'll see, or is there maybe a little more more to it and maybe use Ottawa as an, as, as an example? I definitely think there's more to it than just luck, right? Like with any hockey team, you have to know how to build it, right? And a, a big thing that OHL, like obviously there's, so there, there are two types of drafts. Uh, so there is just the regular OHL draft. Uh, and then there's also the import draft. So uh, you get also European players to come over. So par- part of it is also just building a organization that is internationally respected so that like the players that you draft internationally actually get them to commit to your, to your team because who you draft doesn't necessarily end up being someone that you keep. And the same can be said with just the OHL draft, right? Like you see guys that like, like Jack Hughes never played junior, but he was drafted like ninth overall or something in the OHL draft because the team was just like, screw it. Let's, uh, let's try and try to convince them to come over and yeah, so you, so you have teams that have the rights to these players. And um, yeah, so so like part of it is also just building up like, I guess like um, a, a sense of just like respect throughout like internationally for your team to, to get those players. But apart from that, it's also about being very aware of just the cycle of what junior hockey is, right? Like, and the, the 67s are the best example of this where prior to the pandemic, they were a... The, the most dominant team in Canadian junior hockey with um, Marco Rossi, Jack Quinn, right? Like these really just dominant players who both went in the top, what? I think they both went top 10. I think uh, Marco Rossi went like ninth or 10th or something. So um, yeah, like, like he had like basically two top 10 picks on one team. And uh, now, especially with the pandemic, even like the, the, the players that are like, a year younger that could still stick around for another year because the OHL didn't play last year. Ottawa fans are now going, or 67's fans are going from having the most dominant team to a team full of question marks where they're uh, the forward with the most, I guess, like with like the, 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 the most experience and who is probably going to be the number one forward on the team is Jack Beck, who was a sixth round draft pick for the Calgary flames this past season. Right. Like, like there, there isn't that, that star player really. And, on defense, I mean, you have Jack Mattier, who was a fourth-round pick for Nashville. It's just there, there's so little experience, but it also leaves the door open for players to step up into that role because you're going to have players that won't have had the opportunity on other teams that will have it here to really step in. So one of those players that I'm going to keep an eye on is Luca Pinelli, who's the younger brother of Francesco Pinelli, who was a second-round pick this year, who should have gone the first round, that um, extremely intelligent forward uh, um and uh, Francesco that is and Luca Pinelli is apparently also like his hockey IQ his uh, competitiveness and his skill are really what drives him as a centerman and so I'm going to keep an eye on him because he is uh, not going to be a player that's available in this upcoming draft but he's still a year younger so he's in the 2023 draft 
Um, but you're going to see a lot of very young players have some potential to step up. So just to wrap up the question, Patrick, um, <laughs> no worries, it's it it's about building a team also through maybe like unconventional methods and having a really good scouting department, right? So for mm-hmm. undrafted players, like for instance, um, like Josh Anderson was never drafted in the OHL. And he just, uh, like, he, he had some connections with the London Knights, and they gave him a tryout, and then he, he played on, like, probably one of the most dominant junior teams in recent memory. The London Knights that had also Christian Dvorak, Max Domi, um, uh, Mitch Marner, um, uh, Matthew Kuchuk, all, all, yeah. these, all these star players, right? And Josh Anderson was in, in that core, so... It's also about scouting. It's it's a it's a huge mix of things, similar to the NHL, where you also have scouts, you also have management, you have perspective, all these things. But it's just where like the time spent instead of being like you're looking ten years ahead, you're looking like two years ahead because you're constantly losing your players when they graduate to the NHL or whatever other pro league. I think the bottom line though is like I think you nailed it right there with your your final sentence. You know, you're looking two years ahead rather than ten years ahead. And I think this is where player development becomes so important. And this is where NHL teams can really learn something. I'm not going to name a particular team because I think we all know those uh, tricolors and uh, the way they've handled the last couple of first round picks. But Scott, you wanted to interject and uh, give uh, a little comment before we uh, move on to something else. (laughs) The comment that Sebastian made about the cycle of junior is probably one of the most key defining aspects of any junior team get a bunch of really talented players, really high-end players, they get picked in the NHL draft, and then your team has to start from scratch in essence, and you keep building, building, building like that. Going back to what he said about the Ottawa 67s, the Ottawa 67s have been built in consistency. Their head coach was Brian Kilry, who coached for 32 seasons for the team. The 67s have a reputation for that kind of thing, and they've, as he said, they've been one of the most dominant teams in junior over the past few seasons with head coach Andre Tourigny. Did I hear that properly, Scott? 32 seasons? 32 seasons, and... Good Lord! <laughs> score of the first goal in LA Kings history, might I add. So, oh, nice. <laughs> but I definitely think that uh, that thing that you said about sort of the cycle and building players will definitely come to hurt the 67s come next season. But they do have a lot of really talented players that are coming through the ranks. It's just that if you want to make a comparison, you can think about how the WHA and the NHL used to work when Mike Bossy was picked in the first round by the New York Islanders and the fifth round by the Cincinnati Stingers. It kind of ties in that same aspect. We'll just throw a pick at a guy and we'll see how they go. So going into next season, it'll be interesting to see how one of the uh, junior hockey's most consistent teams will deal with new adversity and most importantly, younger players. All right, Scott and Sebastian, thank you so much for this segment. I mean, this is definitely going to shape up to be a very interesting draft and we will definitely be talking more about it in probably every episode until the end of the season. But guys, once again, thank you very much for a great segment. Much appreciated.
to wrap up this really big show, there was a little comment that was made at the beginning about um, the center line of the Montreal Canadiens or the middle line, call it what you want. We were talking about, um, you know, losing Philip Dano, losing Gasperi Kotkaniemi, replacing it with Christian Dvorak, and I guess in some capacity, Jake Evans and whatever other uh, free agent we got in Metro Pejos and like Pocket and whatnot. But now there has been some report, and this is also the time of the year where we're a couple of weeks away from training camp where professional tryouts are handed over. Now, PTOs, to use a, a shorter term. Now, PTOs are given to players with, you know, essentially as, well, like the title says, it's a tryout. You know, you go, you go to training camp, you work your butt off, and you hopefully get a contract. Now, there has been some notable players in the past, you know, who had uh, professional trust for the Canadians. Uh, Joel Ward was one of them. You know, if, I, I barely remembered that. Um, Alexander Semen, Simon Debré, Eric Gélina, Thomas Fleischmann was one who, you know, we managed to flip for Philip Deno and Alexander Romanov. So I think that ended up being a pretty cool trade. But um, Sebastian Iskokow and Joshua Rosa is back with us for this segment. I'm going to start with you, Josh. Uh, do you, on your list, maybe see a player, you know, more than another being like, you know what, the Canadians might be a better team if we, uh, maybe not not just give a PTO, but maybe a just straight up sign a player because I think the theme of tonight was we need a little help from our friends. What do you think? Well, we keep talking about centers, and that's the common theme throughout this whole podcast so far when talking about Montreal. I think the big one would be Tyler Bozak. He can play for he is played he won the cup i'm pretty sure in st louis a few years ago and he's scored 30 points mm. pretty consistently except for last year of course in the shortened season and you could never you could just never have too much center depth in my opinion he could be like a thomas fleischman who uh he came in on a pto got time for the team and he played Pretty well, 10 goals, 10 assists, 20 points in 57 games, which is pretty good for a PTO. And then he was also traded with Dale Weiss for, of course, Philip Deneau and Alexander Romanov, which is great. Hopefully, if we sign Bozak, we won't have to sell all our assets to teams making the playoffs as we're tanking. But I could see Tyler Bozak being a really good addition to the team. I absolutely agree. The name of Tyler Bozak has showed up more than once recently in the news as a potential PTO candidate. One thing that I, I appreciate the most about him, I mean, despite him being a former Toronto Maple Leaf, whatever, uh, he's shown consistency his entire career. You know, he's just, you know, he's a good, he's a good guy in the locker room. He's good. You know, he could be decent on the faceoff dot. He's good all over the ice and everything. He's a good teammate to get to, to have. And I think having a guy like him on the third or even fourth line, you know, it could be, it could be positive. But again, the question remains is that, you know, technically you already have your four, your four sentiment, you know, in Dvorak, Suzuki, uh, Evans and Paquette, you know, for that matter, or Paquette slash payroll slash paling. So does adding another sentiment actually make sense or should we be maybe looking at um, maybe more depth on defense because, and Scott, I'll let you have uh, the, the next comment on this. Uh, 
is is having Brett Kulak enough of only like you know basically he's basically our depth on defense along with Romanov and he's going to be switching around with Chris Weidman and everything. Maybe should we aim for a guy like Sammy Vatnin or something? Or is really okay? You know what we really do need help down the middle. I definitely think that uh, on defense right now, I definitely think that we have enough depth, at least in my own opinion, with Kulak and Weidman. Chris Weidman has enough offensive upside to kind of complement Kulak's more defensive 2A game. But in regard to being on center, I definitely think that adding to our team is willing to come to Montreal. And he's a guy who's played really well over the past few seasons. And like Sammy Vatten, he leaves me scratching my head as to why I wonder why so many teams have passed up on him. There's a number of factors, obviously, that play into that. But I still think that Bozak is a really intriguing addition for the Canadians. And there's already been a few PTOs that have been signed already in the NHL. Brian Boyle going to the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think he has a good chance at earning a contract, but it remains to be seen. And I don't think that adding a guy like Bozak would just sort of give us a nice fallback option in case things kind of fluctuate or things change or injuries come up. And that's definitely what happened with Corey Perry. We signed Corey Perry to be kind of a depth option. Things ended up changing and Perry ended up taking a much more substantial role with the team, which he flourished in. So I don't think that PTOs and in essence, close to training camp contracts can have some really good results come out of them. And I think that Teller Bozak could be one such option. Yeah. I I always like the, um, the kind of throwaways at the end of the off season, you know, you're getting like, Oh, a 38 year old former cup winner, whatever, who grind his whole, his, his whole career. And was just kind of just hanging on and everything. And, and Scott, like you mentioned that perfectly in, in Corey Perry, you know, this is a guy who we thought was going to retire. And the next thing you know, he gave us a great off season, especially at always to go, uh, you know, try and win with the enemy, which is Tampa Bay. If you can't beat him, join him, I guess. Uh, Sebastian, do you have um, anyone on top of your list that you would love Montreal to uh, maybe give a shot to? Well, Tyler Bozak and uh, Sammy Vatanen both are probably the top of my list. I've got two other names in here that uh, I think would be pretty interesting. So one of those would be a player that I wouldn't necessarily want Montreal to go after, but someone that would be a very much wrong move, would be Jason DeMers. Also Delchenyuk. Also oh. Delchenyuk. But, <laughs> but Gil, we spent all this time not mentioning Galchenyuk, <laughs> and there we go. I thought we were going to survive without it, but nope, yeah. So, so Jason DeMers is actually a free agent. and Surprisingly, he's, no? Right? Like, uh, he's a pretty established defensive yeah. defenseman, right? Like, he's, he's, what, 33 years old now. He made $4.5 million last year. But he just hasn't gotten anyone that like, no one's actually gone for him yet. Like apparently, like the Oilers, Oilers were talking to him about a PTO, but it's the Oilers, so you never know with Ken Holland. Um, and it'd be a very much a move of just getting a veteran defenseman, defensive defenseman, to just provide some competition in camp, right? So like you have like Brett Kulak and uh, Chris Weidman uh, competing for a spot with Matthias Norlander, who. Um, was saying we'll have a legit shot at making the team and if you want to go for a reach I guess Josh Brooke is technically in the mix but that would be kind of shocking and uh, the second player I was looking at is a really weird one so a UFA that hasn't been scooped up yet is actually a 25 year old which is not usual because he was an RFA that was not qualified and that would be Ryan Donato Uh, so this is a player who has Put up, he, I'm put very up curious. To, I'm very curious to hear this one because, man, that is a stretch. Go for it. <laughs> is it? Is it now? So he is put it? up 20 points in 50 games for San Jose last season, and he's 24. He's 25 years old. So 
that on its own, so it was six point six goals and 14 assists. It was still a down year, analytically speaking. Um, so like according to like Jay Fresh's player cards, like he uh like his his finishing went to like this zeroth percentile because he just wasn't like he's flubbing every single shot last season, but it's a small sample size too with the shortened year. Um, but the year before that, his he was actually quite a solid player. And um I just think it'd be an interesting low risk, high reward swing. So two two seasons ago, he was with the Minnesota Wild and he scored 14 goals and 23 points in 62 games in depth minutes. So you have a 14 goal centerman at the time he was 23 years old. I don't know. Yeah, like which, I, is, I, which is acceptable. For a PTO. I, for a PTO like you know what? I think you're right because at the same time, um, if you look a little bit more into Ryan Donato, it might help. He is a product of USHL. He went to Harvard. And then who else exactly. went to Harvard? You know, we got Sean Farrell. Who else just exactly. graduated from the from USHL? We got Cole Caulfield. So maybe, okay, you know what? I take it back, Sebastian. Maybe you're onto something here. That might actually and, be an interesting pick. And ju- just to provide some depth, some youth. I mean, Montreal Center Corps is already, like, young as anything, even with the acquisition of Christian Dvorak. Yeah. But just, like, what, one crazy little thing on his hockey, uh, on his Elite Prospects page is that, so in 2017-18, uh, it was his final year with Harvard. He didn't do all four, se- all four years there. He, he signed with the Boston Bruins after only three seasons. And in his final year at Harvard, he scored 26 goals in 29 games for 43 points. And then he joined the Boston Bruins and scored five goals and nine points in 12 games. Like, this has nothing to do with his ceiling now because, like, we've seen in the NHL what he is, which is a depth centerman with some goal scoring outside but it's kind of crazy to like go straight from college to scoring uh nine points in 12 games that's pretty impressive and kind of just a little aside there but yeah i, I think donato would be an, an interesting pto to just it just swing for it and it'll probably miss but if it hits yeah who knows? You know, yeah okay yeah mayor Cooper, my friend a little risk high reward why not before we uh, send it to Scott, because I know you had a player in mind as well that also happens to have a francophone last name, which always helps. Josh has been flagging me for the last, you know, actually since the beginning of the second, being like, I want to talk about Kevin Bieksa. Uh, what, what does Kevin Bieksa have to do with PTOs? Interesting. Uh, Kevin Bieksa did sign a PTO. However, it wasn't in the NHL. It was a PTO with the Manitoba Moose of the AHL. Yeah, going deep down into the AHL PTOs for this one. (laughs) But when he was in Manitoba, they uh, played in Winnipeg and in a local bar as, as per Canucks GM Brian Burke, who did sign... Uh, Kevin Bieksa to his first contract and the reason Bieksa got that first contract is because he bumped into a guy called Fedor Fedorov Russian guy playing for Vancouver he only managed to play yeah and he only had managed to play 18 NHL games spent a lot of time in the KHL but to paint a picture Fedorov's 6'5 according to numbers online, at 250 pounds. And Kevin Bieksa's builder, uh, he got quite angry, and and Bieksa punched him out. One punch. And that is why 
Brian Burke signed him because he was on a PTO in Manitoba and knocked out a five Fedor Fedorov. That is incredible. Now Fedorov is probably wrestling somewhere in the, in Russia or something. Um, wow, on this day in AHL history with uh, Joshua Rosa, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, Scott, you wanted to bring up uh, someone whose last name uh, resembles a French pastry. Yeah, Alex Chichon or Chichon. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I threw you off there, huh? Alex be Alex Croissant at this point. But the uh, to all bad puns as uh, Chichon was actually a really talented player and he's a guy who like was uh Sebastian was talking about Ryan Donato has a lot of offensive upset that is it kind of passed over for the time being. Mm-hmm. We'll probably remember Chisel for two reasons. One, he won a cup with the Washington Capitals in 2017-18. And two, he was one of the few bright spots on the 2018-19 Edmonton Oilers that completely ran out of gas that season when Miko Koskinen failed during the second half. And uh, after that, the Oilers decided to keep, um, keep him for the next two seasons. And he was a big part of their depth and also being kind of a Swiss Army knife for them. If you want to make a comparable, you can compare him to Matthew Perot, who was some of the Canes this past season, as he's a guy who can kind of play all over the lineup. He's also a Montreal native, which makes him a good sort of feel-good hometown story, kind of like Jocelyn Mestrang-D, as I've talked about before. He's a big guy, 6'4", 208 pounds, he's a right winger, and he's just he, he seems like he could be a very, very solid depth option and a guy who can play anywhere on the lineup and be used on almost any place. He can play on the penalty kill, he can occupy the net on the power play, and Going back to what I said about Corey Perry, Chisholm has a lot of the same qualities that Perry brought to the Canadians, obviously without the sort of leadership that Perry brought, also the experience and also that game-breaking quality that he still has, even though he is 35 years old. But regardless of that, I still think Chisholm will be an interesting pickup for the Canadians on a PTO, or any NHL team for that matter, and I think he's deserving of another chance. He seems like a really talented guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know we're pretty deep on the right wing and whatnot, which is his natural position, but I mean, again, we never have enough depth Especially, you know, knowing that Byron's out until December and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes an extra veteran presence can be good. I do tend to lean a little more on the defensive side, aside from, you know, Tyler Bozak up the middle. Um, I like what Sebastian was saying about J- Jason Demers. Uh, that's someone that could definitely fit in uh, great. I'm going to throw a name out there. And this is going to anger everyone. And I know it. Like, I know people will be like, Pat, what are you talking about? Zdeno Chera. Now I'm hearing the booze all over the place. I think I, I think a brick just threw got thrown into my window in my office and whatnot. But I mean, why not? You know, yeah, okay, he's up there in age. You know, he's what, like 67 years old or something? You know, like okay, he's 44 years old. But he didn't play a bad year at all last year in Washington. If anything, he was Zdeno Chera, like he always was. You know, he played hard minutes. He was great defensively. And why not? Because I don't know about you guys. I mean, I love the the ceiling of Alexander Romanov, but I don't think that he's ready to play 82 games in the NHL. Like, I, I honestly think he could benefit of having, you know, a full season playing 20 minutes a night with Laval. And then maybe you compare someone like Chera with, you know, Brett Kulak, you know, so like, you know, like you actually fill in on random days off. Am I crazy to think that Chera might one day wear a Canadian's jersey, which would be the bait of all existence for a lot of fans? You know, I'm seeing Sebastian nod like crazy. Okay, go ahead. Then tell, tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me that I'm crazy, Sebastian. You need two sides to tango. Chara would never sign here. Like, I, I would... 
Why not? He, he he's a brute. I mean, like, like, he's been everywhere, right? Like, like considering he's like literally forty three years old, like he started out with the Islanders and the Sens, but like he's a Bruin. Like, like he 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 will forever be a Bruin. Yeah, but he played for Washington last year. He left. Yep, yep, he did. He did. Lundqvist also left New York. He didn't play anywhere else, but he left New York. And still, Hank is going to be a Ranger forever. And I don't know. Like, I I think that, that, that Montreal could have shown interest in Chara, but I think I think he, he will retire long before you even consider signing here. And the thing is, Chara played well last season. Like, he, yeah, he played solid defensive minute. Like, like he, he didn't play a big role. Like he was a, he's a third-pairing guy. But, like, he, he, he scored a bit. He, he, he did decently on the, on the PK and just solid defensively. Like, he's just a really solid third pairing defenseman. He's still, he's still an NHL player, even though he's 44. Oh, easily. Easily. He, he's an above-average defenseman still, which is ridiculous considering his age. But I just, I just don't see him ever okay, signing so, in Montreal so, okay, or Toronto. So, so I, yeah, so I guess it's one of those situations where you agree that it's as crazy yeah. as seeing a guy like Ovechkin or Crosby play for anyone else except for... Washington or Pittsburgh, right? I mean, well, I will point out though that the thing about Char that makes him so reliable is his size and the fact that just as being massive, yeah, he's a guy who can play pretty much as long as he wanted to, I'd imagine, just because of his size and because he's just so solid defensively. Yeah, so, it's a guy who you know who's six foot nine, 250 pounds, but works out like Jeremy Jagger. And you know, we yeah, people know. wonder why Alex Ovechkin's still playing. He sits in the same spot all the time on the power play, and teams still can't stop him. He's exactly waits for his puck and scores to wrap up our PTO talk. Yeah, Josh wanted to mention. Um, a very problematic name that signed a PTO in Toronto, Josh Hosang, the man that uh, I have come to, uh, I'm not going to say detest. I mean, that's a hard word, but he was wearing number 66, which is, you know, which is absolute taboo in the NHL. You don't wear 66, you don't wear 99. But uh, why did uh, did you want to point him out, uh, Josh? Well, you can calm down a second with that. Mario Lemieux did give his blessing to <laughs> Joshua Hosang, however poor that judgment ended up being. But again, it's not every day that a, I think, 25-year-old gets put on a PTO, and especially one that was so high up as Hosang as he quickly fell and he was was the first draft pick by the Islanders and one of the one of the GMs of all time though for the Islanders saying he'll fit right in as he was drafted and did the exact opposite in a uh, he is someone that has the absolute skill to make it I don't know if he can make it on such a skilled team like Toronto and uh, how he can fit into that, but it's hard. I don't want to say that he can't do it because it's awful to say that no, someone's going to fail, but this is kind of his last chance feeling to with Toronto. And he did lose, I think in Sweden, they kicked him out because he wasn't physically capable of playing according to their team. Uh, I would just love to see him be able to, revive some part of his career because he could be an exciting player if you look at his skills on the ice outside of his very problematic personal life yeah i i uh, totally agree like i i don't like the maple leagues at all like anyone here they're my least favorite team in the league but this is 
a move I really, really like from them. Like I, like Joshua Hosang as a player, I, I don't, I, I really think that he's been unfairly treated by the Islanders organization of um, something that also led to uh, like him not showing up in shape for training of just being exasperated, like, never getting a shot. Right. And I, yeah, I, I, I really like, like the move. I think that he's not really been treated fairly there and that I hope he knows that, that, that this is likely his last shot and that he comes to training camp with like, like, like really in shape and just ready to just work. Right. And as we saw the, the Maple Leafs, gave a shot to rebuild Alex Galchenyuk. They, they didn't, obviously. He's a, still a free agent. But um, they, they they did work him back into the lineup. And the one thing that everyone noted on Galchenyuk was the work ethic, right? Like, like that is the one thing that every teammate, everyone said about Galchenyuk with the Leafs, was that his work ethic was unparalleled, something that was not the case when he was with the Habs. So I'm hoping that, like, a similar thing can boost Ho Sang's uh, work ethic and that unlike Galchenyuk, he can actually stick it out in the NHL now. Okay, final 60 seconds, and we're going to get clear the air about something. We keep seeing Galchenyuk. We keep laughing at Galchenyuk. You know, but he still comes back in conversations all the time. You know what? Should we just give this guy a PTO and a second chance in Montreal? No. No? Sebastian? Josh? I mean, I think that just... ship has sailed. Because it's well, going excited. back to what Sebastian said about the rebuilding thing, the least managed to rebuild Galchenyuk, and then Galchenyuk didn't look at his defenseman for a blind pass, and then that ended the rebuild right then and there. Yeah, touche. And also, and uh, also Montreal has the winger depth; it's just the center depth, and there's no way I'm going back through the Galchenyuk as a centerman thing ever again. So, no, I God, I can't even remember right. that myself. So that ship has sailed, ladies and germs. But you know what? Uh, quick uh, observation: there's more, there's more boats in the harbor. There are more boats. Oh my goodness, Scott, that was incredible. There are more boats in the harbor. That is copyrighted Scout Cow in 2021. All rights reserved. Before we go, I, uh, quick notes. Guess who was a PTO last year that uh, signed a contract in Montreal? Mike Hoffman. So again, no, that that wasn't a, that that was just a thing, a cap <laughs> thing. That was a cap maneuver of him. I was just working to sign him. But you know what? That was not a PTO. But you know what? It's it still worth It counts. It's technically a PTO, but there is a pre-agreed <laughs> contract there, which is why he didn't sign a contract immediately with the Habs when he was offered one. Like more of an IOU, I would say, than a PTO. Exactly. Oh, exactly. nice. Exactly. Yeah. All right. The contract was there and signed. They just didn't. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're gonna stop with all the puns and everything because we're gonna be here all night. That's all the time we have for this episode, folks. On behalf of myself, Sebastian High, Scott Cowan, Joshua Rosa, big thank you to Chanelle Marie for the, all the voiceovers. Shane Iver is over at SilvermanSound.com providing us with all the wonderful rock and roll music. This is Patrick Lorty signing out for another episode of Puck and Roll. See you next time.
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.